welcome back to Troubleshooting Agile. Hi, Jeffrey. Hi, Squirrel. How you doing? Very, very well. And it looks like we're on episode four, I think the final episode of our little mini-series on alignment. That's right. Uh, we're going to be finishing up uh, by reviewing uh, objections. We've talked be uh, previously about uh, the need for alignment, resistance to alignment, and how to take steps towards alignment. And we're going to go ahead and recap some of the objections that we have discussed previously, and we'll also bring up uh, a couple new ones, including one from a listener question. And uh, we'll uh, then wrap it up with a with a success story about how things can actually be much better when you can achieve alignment. How does that sound? Sounds good to me. Yep, that sounds great. All right. So I remember we talked about goal resistance and process resistance before. That was where you, you thought alignment might not be actually useful. That was goal resistance and process resistance. Well, yeah, it would be a great idea, but um, it does. we don't want to actually go through the steps to get there. That's right. And I think it makes sense to start with goal resistance because that was one of the most explicit objections. And this is one we talked about early, uh, in an earlier episode when you have you say, bring up the idea of alignment and the need for alignment. And the most explicit goal resistance is someone saying, we, we don't need it. Indeed. We, we don't need to spend time on it. And I've got a couple of examples of that. One is a person with huge experience in the industry he's working in who says, look, I know what to do. I already understand it. We just need everybody to line up behind me and go where I'm pointing. That's something that, I, that I've I've encountered at multiple places, and sometimes it's among the places I've encountered it. The the answer that this person you have in mind is giving, that I actually have experience, is is one of the better versions of it. Uh, when I I find it a little bit more objectionable is when people say it's a question of hierarchy, uh, when they so simply look, it's not you you don't in your role. You don't need to understand. <laughs> it's someone else's job to tell you what to do. Uh, I, I find that a, a more difficult, uh, personally, uh, version of outcome uh, goal resistance to deal with. Sure, that's theory X. If you have theory X, alignment does not really work for you. And I'll just remind everybody, we'll put the link in, but theory, theory X is the theory that everybody is uh, in a hierarchy. The people at the top just need to give direction and everyone needs to follow really effectively. It's the kind of, it's not actually how military organizations work, but people often think that they'd work that way. Just salute and follow orders. Uh, and, the, and the good news is I have found it effective to use the type of uh, techniques we've described to deal with this kind of resistance. Uh, in, and in particular, we talk about having a mutual learning conversation and I can start with, um, look, I'm not, I'm not trying to tell you what to do. Uh, but rather, I'm going to tell you how it would help me. It would be helpful for me to do what you want if I understood better your reasons for it. So in service of doing what you're telling me to do, <laughs> would you be willing to share with me some of the reasons for doing it? Yep. And there exist people who will cling to Theory X and who will say, uh, no, that's, uh, I know it would be helpful to you, but tough. You know, keep, keep going. Here's, here's your marching orders. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm fortunately for myself, I can't recall ever encountering someone uh, who's that extreme, but I'm uh, certainly uh, would believe that they do in fact exist. I, I've hit only a couple in my 20 years in some form of technical leadership. So that's, so that's the first and most explicit type of goal resistance. Um, a second one is um, I think uh, can be a little bit more difficult to detect and it's from the other side. And it's one we've mentioned before. Um, I don't think we spend as much time on it. It's when, when actually the, the team are the ones rejecting alignment and they say, look, uh, you know, uh, we don't want it. Just tell us what to do. 
And uh, it's it's something that we've, we've discussed in the past that when we were talking about uh, our agile principles and self-organization, uh, that uh, sometimes people don't want to take on the effort uh, of ownership. And instead, they, they prefer to take a more passive role and say, look, just tell us what to do and then I'll do it. And then uh, I don't need to be uh, overly concerned about the outcomes. Mm-hmm. And what the, the great situation is the one from the uh, koan, the, the short story, two-sentence story from Alistair Coburn, where the management actually wants the alignment, wants the greater involvement, and it doesn't work. And his story is, management tells the workers to mutiny, the workers refuse. <laughs> That's right. Uh, people, people's attachment to uh, what they know. So that, so that can be a, an obstacle. Similar to the previous typical resistance, this is one that I have I have encountered this, but I, I have found it uh, something that we can overcome by getting into uh, some of the advantages, and particularly when we get into the type of you know concerns. Again, it's just I think it, it works well to speak from my own needs and say uh, I hear what you're saying, and I would like to give you what you want, which is clear direction. Uh, about how to do what what you need, I'm just not sure I'm capable of it, and I have a I, I have a concern that you'll be in a situation that I didn't anticipate, and you're going to be making decisions. And I think it'll be better for all of us if you're able to use your own judgment because we we have a, a alignment. Mm-hmm. And the nice thing in this situation is the person is saying, "Tell us what to do," so there is some element of direction that you can give. That's right. So those, those are the two examples of uh, goal resistance that we've uh, encountered ourselves. We might call them symptoms. These are things you might hear and then actions you might take in order to address them. That's right. So the, we have three other uh, objections we're going to go through here. And these were all examples, uh, we believe, of process resistance, where people would agree that alignment is important. Um, however, in some way, they're resisting the work that you need to do to achieve it. Mm -hmm. So my favorite, most recent example is a client, and I've already mentioned them in previous episodes, who say, well, uh, and these are two founders, and they say, we're already aligned. This is great. Yeah, alignment's super. Good news is we already are, so there's no need to go through any process <laughs> or anything. So we're, we're already aligned. Life is good. And my technique there was uh, similar to what you do with, say, uh, well, in some cases with people who are a little disconnected from reality in, in therapy, so uh, schizophrenics or um, uh, people who are paranoid or have delusions. One technique, which works with varying levels of success, worked pretty well here, is reality testing. So you say, that's that's interesting. Let, let's see if we can measure that. How, how would we know if we were aligned? Well, everybody would be working on the project that is clearly the most important one. Let's go out and see what they're actually doing. That's what we did. And interestingly, they all told us, yeah, we can't tell what the most important project is. So we're working on whatever we feel like until somebody tells us what's most important. And the founders were quite surprised to hear that feedback. <laughs> well, and that's interesting. The, the good news here is that they were resisting the idea of investing in alignment, but they were willing to embrace uh, what they must have seen as a less expensive investment of, you know, let's go see since you're able to overcome the resistance by, by lowering the cost, uh, making a smaller step. And that, that worked out uh, very well there. Yep. The fourth objection, and this is one, I think for me is probably the most common objection that I've heard 
uh, from all parties, and that is, we don't have time. If you ever come across that one, scroll people saying, "Oh, of course, yeah." Well, Jeffrey, <laughs> come on, it, it, this kind of uh, singing and, and playing guitars and like all being friends and so on—that's that's really nice. It's it's great. Let's do that when we have time. But you know what we really need to do is get ready for the 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 big launch in in two months, and we just don't have time for all that stuff. It, it's great. Let's it, it'll be imperfect. We'll make some mistakes along the way, but uh, we we need to be ready in two months. And there's just no time for any of this, uh, you know, um, touchy feely stuff. Building. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Hippie stuff. <laughs> and, and I, the, the same objection could come up from the, the developers, the team as well. They could be saying, look, we, we have deadlines. We have people waiting for this. I'm already behind. I, I don't have time to go into a bunch of meetings. Yeah, you want me to come to another meeting? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, Let, yeah. Let's go, let's go get some work done. Why are we always spending time, you know, blah, blah, blah. So really, definitely encounter this from both sides. Do you have examples of how you've been able to talk to people about this? Uh, well, one I've used, I'm interested in what you do, Jeffrey, because I'm not sure I'm as good at this as I'd like to be. One thing I do try to do is make sure we agree on what important words mean. So when someone says, well, I need to get some work done, I try to redefine, at least from my point of view, again, referring to my needs and the company's needs. This type of activity is, in fact, work, and it's very important work. And the avoiding activity that is not productive is uh, an extremely useful way to stay on track, to be uh, com to complete on time, to uh, uh, avoid future useless meetings. So um, one way to think about it could be, would, would you like to be in the meeting where we discuss why we built the wrong thing and we're now very late and uh, we need to put a bodge in place? Or would you rather be in the meeting where we decide what we're going to do and adjustments <laughs> to that are occurring on a whiteboard rather than in code? Right. Well, what I really like about this this last one is this sort of would you rather is a very explicitly like a type of joint design. Together, we can choose different outcomes. How would you like to proceed? And and as far as how I approach it, that's, a, I would say, a combination of curiosity and joint design. In part, uh, I might be curious to say, well, when is a good time? If it's now is not a good time, if we look back over the past you know, six months or a year, what have, has there been a previously been a good time that we missed? <laughs> and looking ahead, is there a better time in the future? And I might be open to the idea that, well, maybe there is something, maybe there is a deadline that we're working towards where it's for uh, tomorrow, and we really should not in interrupt that. And maybe a better time is is really just a couple of days away. In which case, okay. fair enough that they, they really they have a very uh, short term uh, resistance, not a longer term and more su sustained one. And, and I also think for people who were thinking more uh, less specifically, more broadly, that uh, opened up to a larger question is a bit like your reality testing. And people might realize, oh, actually, there is no good time. There never has been a good time. <laughs> and mm -hmm. and yet this is valuable. So if we're not willing to, to behave differently, we're not going to get different outcomes. And also, along with this is, is sort of a similar sort of curiosity. Well, have you ever experienced the, any, the kind of problem that you described where afterwards you realize you've built the wrong thing? And you know if you have, then what could you think you could have done to avoid it? And maybe now we, we can do that. So for me, that's still that mutual learning conversation with a combination of curiosity, sharing my own concerns, and then joint design about, well, when when would be good. Mm -hmm. 
those four types, two goal resistance, two process resistance, are the ones that I think you and I came in ready to discuss. And then we have uh, one more type of process resistance. Maybe it's a, a couple times mixed together, but we'll talk about now, which came from questions. Yep. And uh, the first one uh, we want to take was a question directly to us, and the second one was a question to a mailing list that we're both part of. So why don't we start with the user question or listener question first? Can you uh, take us to spot that squirrel? Yep. So that's from a listener named Simon, and he suggests that there are some uh, objections or difficulties that he foresees. These are not what maybe they're. I'm, it's not clear whether he's currently encountering these, but he has a concern about them, and so he perceives that um, whatever change he's trying to make will be broken into phases. And he says, if people get to hear only about say phase one, they might think you haven't understood the real outcome or objective. Similarly, if you offer four phases to get to the outcome, there could be disappointment with the limitations of phase one or two. So he's concerned about this process of change he's trying to introduce. And, and I think it's it's what he's bringing up is a realistic concern. He said, I'm, I want to go into this conversation. I want to take, you know, take people into this process, but they might not understand. They, and they might, there's a couple of different ways they might not understand me. They, they might, they might just hear me talking about phase one and think I'm not understanding what the real concerns or they might look at the initial deliverable and uh, be really just disappointed that we can't do more sooner. So those are reasonable concerns. Before we start answering, let's let's have a look at uh, the the other question. Okay, this one came from millions for both on rather than sent to us directly. Uh, but what caught the eye for both of us was a description of of fireworks. So can you to tell us about the the fireworks? Indeed. So this person is describing difficulties uh, he describes as difficulties with egos and people in his team being the best and believing they're the best and he says extra fireworks ensue if business requirements change to the extent that a system needs to be substantially rebuilt or replaced with a more appropriate solution for the new reality people can become very attached to things they've built and he's looking for help with this experience of extra fireworks yeah and again this this seems like a realistic concern i i i've certainly encountered people who were attached to what they built and were upset uh, when requirements changed. And it, that sort of conflict between requirements changing and the technical solution is a really old one that goes way back to the roots of Agile. And I think a lot of it was designed to address the uh, the fireworks that could in ensue when these things happened. See, see our mini series of uh, on the 12 Agile principles, most of which are designed to exactly address that problem. Right. So um, we're doing these together. What's common about them? Because they do seem like there's some differences here, you know, the fireworks versus disappointment versus misunderstanding. So there's an interesting assumption underlying them, and this is why we call it process resistance. And Jeffrey, you had to explain this to me about four times before I, the light kind of switched <laughs> on and I, I saw it in this uh, this way. So thank you for explaining it. The The notion is that these things are bad. So um, uh, Simon and uh, Simo, the, the, the uh, second person, they both say, well, I, I think view these outcomes as negative. I would not like to have fireworks. They don't even actually say this, but they, they make it implicit in their statements. Uh, they might think you haven't understood the objective. Fireworks ensue. People become attached. They, they, they view these things as uh, bad outcomes. And I think you and I would say these are natural outcomes and part of the process of alignment. And guess what? You might want to plan for them if you're planning to improve your alignment. You would want to make sure they're productive, but that's part of the alignment process, and we're hearing resistance in their statements in their underlying assumption. That's right, and and you you pointed out that we had a good example of that ourselves in discussing the questions, which is 
I had a view of uh, how these questions would fit into the podcast as examples of resistance. And, um, and I really didn't get it. <laughs> and he... Man, did I not get it. Jeffrey, I don't know what you're talking about. I can't see how these fit together at all. What do you mean? Yep. We went round and round for, for a little while discussing it before we came on air. Right. Uh, but for us, we weren't concerned about that. That's, that is the process that we're going to be, become aligned on how we're going to, what we're going to do in the episode. Indeed. <laughs> and, uh, and in the end, hopefully we have a good product for people, a good outcome. Uh, and certainly for ourselves, it felt good to, to work through and get to a point like, oh, okay, now I get it. Now I understand how you're seeing it. Now we, we've done this sometimes and, and actually not agreed. Yep. <laughs> we've gotten to a point where in the end it's like, okay, I understand how you see it. I see it differently. And that's still important. That's that's still success uh, because we've gotten to a point of mutual understanding. And then from there we can design what, where to go next. And I would claim makes for a better podcast because we can say we disagree about this topic or we've come to understand it in a common way and so we're able to describe it. So Simon and Simo, we'd encourage you both to consider fireworks, disappointment, misunderstanding as useful signals that alignment is happening. We don't want it to continue for months and months and years and years, but brief experiences of misalignment and misunderstanding are ways to become aligned. Right. The attitude should be, how do we work through this together? So this has been our, our set of objections. We don't need it. We don't want it. We're already aligned. We don't have time. And I'm worried that people will disagree, misunderstand, and, you know, or we'll have some sort of explosion. And we still see these all as falling into either goal resistance or process resistance. And in general, we think that the mutual learning approach that we talk about so frequently, the uh, seeking to understand, being curious, also being transparent about your own reasoning intent uh, and joint design all work to overcome that. And then if you can do it, then you really do have the ability to get to a really a much better place as a as a team or as an organization. And I think, Squirrel, you were going to close our series with a success story that demonstrates some of these principles. So can you uh, take share that with us? Indeed. So I had a client uh, a few months ago who, when I first met them, said, uh, gee, we're kind of all over the map. We have a big thing that we need to deliver in a couple of months, and we seem to be making progress, but we're not really sure, and lots of people are feeling left out. And in fact, they had different bits of the organization proceeding on the progress toward that outcome completely independently of each other. So not only were they not aligned, they weren't even cooperating. Did they say that we have an alignment problem or did they just, they presented a different problem? Their, their understanding of the symptom was, was something different. They weren't able to be coherent about it. They weren't even, they didn't even have a common view of the problem because everyone saw it differently. It's like the, the blind people with the elephant, you know, one person would describe a problem of lack of progress and another person would describe a problem of lack of interaction with the customer. And a third one would say, uh, well, those guys on the other side of the room never talked to me. Right. So they, they all saw it differently, but I was able to bring them together and bring all the pieces together and say, aha, the common problem here is alignment. So for a couple of months, we worked on bits of alignment. Uh, I started with the bits of the organization that were not even talking to each other. I've never seen a product team and a development team, that, that is product managers and engineers, having separate mm. stand-ups. <laughs> that was a new one for me, but uh, we addressed that, got them together, working toward atomic common goal. We kind of addressed the tactics of getting ready for the big delivery in a couple of months. 
And what eventually emerged was that there were some root causes of the misalignment. And one fundamental one was that the founders had not got together. There were three of them. So the founders of this startup had not got together to be sure that they knew where they were going. There was kind of broad alignment about where they were going in a few years. But the local tactics to get there, the things we were doing this year, were not at all clear, and founders disagreed about them. That became evident, but that was only after lots of conversations with them in a, a, as a group. So uh, at some point they said, well, look, we really need to sort this out. Squirrel keeps pointing out how we're not headed the same way and we're not communicating that to the rest of the organization. So they took the initiative to get together and bring me in to help with the conversation. And this very interesting thing happened as they were discussing. It was great there were three of them because um, they could get kind of tri-cornered three-way discussions going. But the problem was that one of them was much more quiet. So she wasn't saying much and the other two were just arguing back and forth. And at some point, I just turned to her and I said, do you have a view on this? You're not saying very much. And she said, well, I have this framework. I don't know what to do with it, but I have this framework. And she, she drew this amazing diagram on the board, which helped capture two really important elements of their market. And she said, well, I'm not sure if we should be it with people who are like this, but not like that, or people who are like that, but not like this, or people who are both. Is, is that where we should be targeting? Where should we be spending our resources? Cue very productive, very interesting conversations involving all three of them. And in fact, they were so interesting that they booked a uh, weekend at a some kind of uh, retreat center that had no telephone service. So there's no mobile phones. And they went away there to make sure nobody could interrupt them or talk to them, turned off all their Wi-Fi and internet and everything, and discussed this topic. And they've just come back to the rest of the company and said, great, we've, we've been to the mountain. We're all aligned. Here's how we see it. How do you see it? So that conversation is continuing, but that's definitely helping in particular, those product managers to make plans for the rest of the year and make difficult choices about which clients to service. Should they be in one quadrant or another of the very nice matrix that the more quiet founder had identified? I really like this story because it has the the full journey in it. Uh, and here we can see rather than just the the little bits of resistance you can see here and also the steps that you were able to go through with them you had the sort of the sense that the problem didn't present itself originally as alignment and eventually you confer converge on that this is an underlying alignment problem that the group as a whole sees that it's it's worth addressing they take the time to get to there for this initial conversation and then it's really a productive conversation where everyone contributes and then over time, they build this idea of what, yep, this matrix comes together as a sort of this unifying idea. They all converge on it and then really take that and run with it and and bring it back and start, people start then applying this new world, uh, view of the world to their day-to-day -day work. A very nicely in, encapsulated story. And um, hopefully that will uh, serve to our listeners as an inspiration and perhaps partially as a template of uh, where they can get to that they can look around their organizations to look at the problems they're encountering to say, are these symptoms of a lack of alignment? And if so, how do we then uh, move towards uh, having the conversations we need to become aligned and then get that payoff? Sounds great. Well, if you're trying any of these techniques and encountering problems or success stories, we'd sure like to hear about it. Please go to troubleshootingagile.com and drop us an email, just like Simon did, and we'd encourage others to do that. We have a little backlog of such questions, so we'll keep working through them and keep trying to address the problems our listeners see, but we're trying to troubleshoot Agile, so we should get some trouble that we can <laughs> shoot.
<laughs> All right. And, uh, and that wraps up our four-part series. And uh, look forward to talking to you next time. We'll figure out what it is next time. We'll, we'll have to do some alignment on, <laughs> on what to do next. That's right. Excellent. Thanks, Jeffrey. Thanks, Will. Thank you.